Hi, I'm Renee Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. Make sure that you like and subscribe to our weekly sermons so that you don't miss what is happening here at Bethel Austin. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. And most of all, we pray that you would have an encounter with the living God today. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're here in this place. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd move in our midst, and that you would establish your kingdom here in this place. In Yeshua's name, amen. Come on. I'm excited to be together. You guys excited? Well, we'll work on it. Now, I think there is so much available for us when we come together. There is something that is so powerful about people coming together for a common purpose, coming together in unity with a common goal and a common focus. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And, you know, as, as I was digging into this and preparing for this, I, I looked up because I'd heard this story and I wanted to, like, make sure it was legit and not just, you know, a, a tall tale. But this, I, I went and looked it up, and it, there's actually scientific studies on this uh, that talk about the power of a group of people moving in unison. And there's something actually called the power of resonance. And there's this, this was a story that I heard about uh, uh, soldiers being taught to break their cadence when they're marching, when they cross a bridge because a, a group of soldiers marching in cadence in step all together actually have the power to collapse a bridge yeah so I did a little research I like I, I, I like to geek out on stuff I don't know about anybody else I used to really like to show Mythbusters and Mythbusters actually covered this yes there you go a little insight <laughs> So this is what I've found. It's because of this phenomenon that the British Army has had a standing order since 1831 to never march and step on a bridge. On April 12, 1831, 74 soldiers were marching across the, if I say this right, Broughton Suspension Bridge near Salford, England. The bridge, which was completed in 1826, was on the first suspension bridges ever built in Europe. According to the story, the troop's synchronized march caused the bridge to vibrate at just the right frequency, which in turn caused it to collapse. Now, this is rare. The Mythbusters, when they did it, they actually went through this, and they, they busted the myth, and they said it wasn't possible. But in a rare redaction and in further study, they actually found that under the right conditions, it was plausible, and they actually changed their, their verdict on it. It is the same thing, actually, that when an opera singer can break a piece of glass with their voice, it's the same power being released. It's when they, when they can hit the right frequency at the right volume. I don't understand how all this stuff works, but they can actually break a glass. I had something in there on that. I don't remember where it went. I think we'll skip that, but that's amazing to me. That the physical world around us can actually be affected by this. 
Now, imagine if a platoon of soldiers can do that, just marching, just walking. What can a group of spirit-filled believers do? (laughs) Yeah, now you're starting to get a little more excited, aren't you? (laughs) So this is what I want to stir us about today, is the power of our agreement. You know, there's so much in the world right now trying to divide us. There's so much in the world that wants us to focus on the things that we don't have in common or the things that, that, that we want to, you know, build a little hill to, to take a stand on. And it's really, I believe, just trying to distract us from what we have in common and the things that we can agree on because I believe there's a spirit of the age that knows that if we grabbed a hold of this and really laid hold of the power of when we come together in agreement, it would literally shake the earth. Let's look at the definition of agreement. Harmony of opinion, action, or character. The act or fact of agreeing. A contract duly executed and legally binding. The language or instrument embodying such a contract. These are some words that are synonymous with agreement, and there's a couple that I highlighted. The first one is one of those, accord. Remember that. Others, bargain, compact, contract, convention. The other highlighted one, covenant. Deal, disposition, pact, settlement, or understanding. And some related words are charter, treaty, binder, pledge, promise, alliance, league, Partnership, acceptance, approval, assent, or concurrence. Those are powerful words to me. And when we think about when we come together, it's not just about being in the same place. Having our own individual experience. But there's something about when we come together in agreement. And as I was praying into this, I was thinking, you know, there's really, I think, There's probably more, but two main things that are fighting against this that we have to kind of fight or push back on for us as the body to really come together in full agreement. Those two things, I think, are this trend or this tendency for Christianity to become a spectator sport. And the other one is a consumer mentality trying to creep into the church. This is, this is funny for me. Again, I told you I like to like geek out on things. So I hear that term a lot, spectator sport. I kind of know what it means, but I was like, what? I've never actually like looked into spectator sport, right? It's just something you watch. But I found this little blurb. I thought it was hilarious. Obviously, this person was not American that wrote this, but for giggles, we'll read it. A spectator sport is a sport that is characterized by the presence of spectators or watchers at its matches. For instance, American football, association football, baseball, basketball, Formula One, ice hockey, rugby league, rugby union, team handball, and volleyball are spectator sports, while hunting and underwater hockey typically are not. I'm looking into a new hobby. (laughs) 
I found this part here particularly interesting. Spectator sports require venues or sometimes stadiums in which the fans may observe a game or event. The largest such facility on earth is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and thus is host to the greatest spectacle in all of sports every year. The Indy 500 with a single day of attendance of 400,000 people. 400,000 people in one day. I think we can outdo that. Listen to this, though. The increasing broadcasting of sporting events, along with media reporting, can affect the number of people attending sports due to the ability to experience the sport without the need to physically attend. And sometimes an increasingly enhanced experience, including highlights, replays, commentary, statistics, and analysts, some sports are particularly known as armchair sports or lounge room sports due to the quality of the broadcasting experience in comparison to the live experience. Now think about that related to the church. And if you think about it, you can have all the greatest preaching, greatest sermons and podcasts, greatest worship experience, greatest worship. I mean, you can go back in history and look stuff up, and you have it all at the, the touch of your fingertips. You can, you can experience it all in your living room all by yourself. Or you can show up, and you can come to the stadium. You can come to the arena. You can come to the, the church building and just watch and spectate. But I believe there's something so much more available to us. And if all this great stuff is available, like, okay, obviously, yeah, I love listening to Bill Johnson and the amazing men and women of God that I can, you know, get their sermons at home and listen to all the greatest worship. So why do we come together? Why do we need to physically be here? Of course, there's a bunch of reasons why it's good and healthy for us to come together. I believe the church around the world in so many other countries really gets this even more than in the West, especially countries where there's great persecution. There's people that are risking imprisonment and even laying their lives on the line just to assemble, just to gather. They understand the value in the body coming together and being the body. There's a bunch of reasons, but today I want to focus on one, and that's the power that I believe is available when we come together. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that our faith shouldn't happen outside of these four walls. I'm not saying that, you know, there, there's not, um, that this is the all-consuming Christian experience. But I want to focus on what is available when we do come together. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Second Chronicles chapter 5. This is a story when Solomon rededicated the temple and he's bringing the, the he built the temple, he's dedicating it, he's bringing the ark in. And we're going to jump in at verse 11 and listen to this. And when the priest came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, 
and all of the Levitical singers, Asaph and Haman and Jeduthun and their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with the 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast mercy endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Acts 2, we all know this one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, now this is in the New King James Version, it says they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And again in Acts 4, and being, so this is when uh, Peter and John were imprisoned and they came back to the, to the other disciples. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And I'm going to skip ahead just to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. It was physically, literally shaken. It caused an actual earthquake. Not not a metaphorical, not a figurative. This isn't like poetic language, but it says that when they lifted their voice in one accord, that the place they were meeting actually physically shook. Guys, what is available for us? Looking at these, looking at just at these three examples, there's some things that they all have in common here. They all had active corporate participation. And they all had agreement. Active corporate participation. There were no spectators. It wasn't a spectator sport. Nobody was coming to be entertained. Nobody was coming just to watch or listen. They were all participating. They were all actively involved. I'm just going to go back to the highlights. Second Chronicles verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. That's when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Acts 2 and Acts 4 basically says the same thing. When they were with one accord in one place, just showing up wasn't enough. Just showing up wasn't their duty. They did not have a mentality like, if I just come in and I'm kind of sitting there on the back wall, I've done my part. But there was something that gripped these people where they knew they all were in it together. 
Peter and John, when they were released from prison, they're coming back telling their story. And, and they, I mean, people could have been like, whoa, dude, that's too bad for you. I'm not going to jail. That's, that's outside of my comfort zone. I'm not called to that. But the Spirit gripped them where the response to the persecution wasn't to shrink back. It wasn't to scatter. It was to rally together and actually pray for boldness in the face of persecution. And every single person there, every single voice there was heard. And when they were with one accord in one place, the place they were meeting shook. Are we excited to be here yet? Not that you weren't already. I'm giving you a hard time. What about a consumer mentality? What's a consumer mentality look like in church? Yeah, I'm going there. I see some people are like, Look around. Listen, guys, why am I talking about this? Because I'm jealous for him to get his full reward. I'm jealous for what he wants to do here in our midst. I believe that he wants to do something that's going to shake Austin, that's going to shake the nation, that's going to shake the world. I believe it's not just happening here in Austin. But there's many places around the world. There's many congregations where the Lord is moving. There's underground churches. There's house churches. There's fellowships. There's ministries. There's people, you know, locked up in prison that are gathering together to pray. There's people in schools and business places that are gathering together to pray. And I believe every place where believers are going to come together in unison, it has the potential power to see that place shaken. And I'm tired of getting robbed. I'm tired of missing out. I'm tired of seeing my Jesus not get his full reward. The consumer mentality would say, I'm coming just for me. As long as I get mine, it's all good. As long as I have my own personal encounter, I'm good. As long as I'm experiencing personal revival, it's all good. I'm seeing signs and wonders. I'm experiencing the glory of God. Sorry, buddy. Now, guys, I'll come and I'll have a personal encounter. I'll come and God will speak directly to me. He'll show up and meet me and I will leave wrecked. But I'm hungry for more than that. I'm hungry for the corporate encounter. I'm hungry for it to become contagious. I'm hungry for it to overflow outside of the four walls.
I believe we can't be content just to get our own inheritance. Just to see our own destiny fulfilled. Just to see the call of God on my life fulfilled alone is not enough. God often describes himself in a national or generational way. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People would refer to him as the God of Abraham. But God often referred to himself in a national or generational way. Or eternal way. I am. Don't box him in. And I honestly, I think this day and age, we've put so much emphasis on the personal relationship with Jesus, we're missing the corporate relationship with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Every single one of us needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think it's the pendulum has swung far the other way because before everybody else was relying on a corporate relationship. If I just go to church, if I just do my duty, you know, if I go, I can check my box and I'm good. I don't really have to read the word. The priest does that. I don't really have to pray. I don't really have to do those. That's somebody else's job. That's what the clergy does. I just show up. Obviously, that's not right. But I believe if all we're getting is the personal, we're missing out as well. I love this story. I, there's, I know I'm not the only one, but I feel like there's a few scriptures I can tie into almost anything. There's like so much truth. There's so much of God. There's so, you know, it's like I can find a way to tie a couple of scriptures into so many different things. This is one of them. So you've probably heard me touch on this before, but that's okay. It's the eternal word. <laughs> In Joshua 1, Verse 12 through 15, this is when the Israelites were coming into the promised land. They're about to take possession, right? Two and a half tribes had settled on on the east side of the Jordan and, and asked the Lord if they could have that as their inheritance. And the Lord allowed it. And he said, yeah, you can, you can stay here and possess this land. This will be your inheritance. Well, the rest of the Israelites were about to cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land and take hold of their inheritance. And this is what the Lord had Joshua say to those two and a half tribes. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land Moses, the servant of the Lord, God, uh, servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. They'd already arrived. 
They already received their possession. They already had their encounter. They already had their breakthrough. They, they had everything. Could you imagine that? Place yourself in the shoes of those two and a half tribes. 400 years in slavery. A promise, a prophetic word of a deliverer that was going to come. An edict going out to kill all, all the, the boys, all the babies to be killed. Yet a deliverer being raised up. God showing up in plagues and judgment. Being supernaturally, miraculously delivered out of slavery, out of oppression, out of Egypt, and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting to come into the promised land. That's a whole lot of process. That's a whole lot of warfare. That's a whole lot of struggle. That's a whole lot of faith, a whole lot of believing, a whole lot of contending. And after all of that coming in and seeing the promised land, you're like, this is it. It's right here. But before you can actually settle and enjoy it, the Lord comes to you and says, hold up. Not yet. Don't get too comfortable. You just spent 40 years in the wilderness, 400 years in slavery, for generations and generations and generations and generations, it's been spoken of this promised land that the Lord had set for you. There's a promise of the Lord that you were contending for, that you were waiting for, that you were believing for, for generations. And you're just about to touch it. You're just right there about to enjoy it. And God says, but before I let you stay here and enjoy it, get your sword. It didn't say follow your brothers into battle. It said cross over the Jordan before them, in front of them. Let your breakthrough blaze a trail for their breakthrough. Let your attained inheritance pave a way for their inheritance to be laid hold of. Before I'm going to let you stay here and settle and enjoy what you've been believing for, I'm going to make you go over and fight on behalf of your brothers to see them get what they've been believing for. And once they've had their breakthrough, then you can go back and enjoy yours. God is not into us being consumers. He's not into us being spectators. He may have done amazing things for each one of us. I know, in fact, he has done amazing things for each one of us, but I don't believe he's done. I believe there's more for me personally, but even more, I believe there's more for us corporately. And I don't want to rest and be satisfied because, oh God, I could look back at all the testimonies in the history that we have and see all the amazing things that you've done in my life and just say, you know what, I'm good. I got saved when I was about 20 years old. 
My parents are here. They can vouch for it. I was a knucklehead. <laughs> Eddie, yes, you too. Yeah, yep. I've known Eddie since I was 12. I was a kid without a whole lot of direction. Beyond a goal in sports, I didn't really have much aspiration. I, be I believed I was created for a purpose. I mean, I was, I was the son of these political radicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wrote a book about it. You should read it. It's good. But I remember being this, this kid growing up and hearing these stories from my parents of the things that they did and like all that they had given their life for. Literally almost given their life. Like it's a miracle that my dad's alive. And I remember hearing like these stories over and over and over again of all these things that they'd done to make a difference because they were dissatisfied with the status quo. They were dissatisfied with the injustice and the things that they were seeing around them and they had to do something about it. And I remember that like being ingrained in me from an early age and growing up and being a teenager and looking around at my generation, I was thinking, we don't have a purpose. We don't have a cause. I remember being a young guy, watching MTV, and there, yeah. I don't even know if that's still around. I don't even know. <laughs> and, and back then, this was like in the 90s, this like free Tibet movement going on. And it's like, you would see concerts about it. You'd see all these musicians and stuff talk about it. I remember, you know, there being bumper stickers and T-shirts and people talking about free Tibet. And I'd ask them, what's going on in Tibet? I don't know, but they need to be free. <laughs> Nothing against that. But what was clear to me is people were hungry for a cause. People were hungry for a purpose, a corporate, generational purpose. They were hungry for a movement. They were hungry for something that they could all come together in agreement in, and it was lacking. And they were, they were rallying to any cause that they thought was worthy. The latest thing that Bono said or whoever, you know, they're like, yeah, we're there. I'll, I'll go to the rally. I can't tell you how many rallies or, or different protests I, I've seen, and sometimes I'm a troublemaker. Sometimes. I've gotten better. Well, I just make trouble in other ways now, but, you know, sometimes I'll go to somebody and ask, like, what, what is this about? It's sad how uninformed people out there with picket signs and protesting and setting up booths and handing stuff out can be. When I came to Jesus, he, God started to speak to me about what he wanted to do in this generation. 
and I found purpose. I found calling. I was, you know, in my early 20s, this was 20 years ago, and I got this call to go into missions. I didn't know anything about missions. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about it. I'm saying all that to say there was a hunger in my heart to see God move, to have what I was reading in the word, to go to the nations. And guys, I've had it. I've been to over 20-something nations. I've seen God do miracles, signs, and wonders. I've seen people that were declared not, they weren't dead yet. I've prayed for quite a few dead people. But like, go home. There's nothing more we can do for you. Down to skin and bones. Wasting away. Could not get out of bed. Hadn't eaten in weeks. I've seen that man. I remember his name forever. His name was Isaac. I saw him get completely healed and restored. He's become an evangelist and is telling people his story and leading people to the Lord in the Ukraine. I've seen revivals break out. I've seen God move in miraculous ways. If I died right now, I can confidently say my life has made a difference. I could say that I've seen amazing things, that I have a great history with the Lord. But I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. Because I know there's a whole lot of people out there who have not found purpose yet. I know there's a whole lot of people out there that are still looking for that same cause that I was looking for. I know there's a whole lot of people out there that are still experiencing the same void in their life that I was. And you know what? Not all of them are outside the church. I'm not even talking now about salvation. I've talked to people, and it's like, hey, what, what are you called to? What's, what's your calling? And just get a blank look. I don't know. Well, I mean, like, why did God create you? Why did he put you on this planet? I don't know. I guess I never really thought about it. I'm like, what? What? It, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. It's hard for me to comprehend that the creator of heaven and earth, an eternal God who sits outside of space and time, who's created everything that we can see when we look out at the night sky, has created all of those stars, reached into time and space, into a tiny little speck of a planet uh, to touch one individual life on that speck and not to question why. Not to ask, Jesus, you did not have to do that, but why? Philippians 3.12 says to lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of me. Every person who's been saved, I believe, has been saved for a reason, for a purpose. There's purpose, there's destiny, there's calling on every individual life. Personally, I'm not content till I see us all laying hold of it. Individually and corporately. 
I want to see Jesus get his full reward. I've noticed a few things with this. Is sometimes people are content because they've had the experiences. They've had the encounters. Been there and done that. Why should I go to the next conference? Why should I go to church? Why should I do these things? I've been there. I've done that. And they feel like they've already received so much. I'm blessed. How could I ask the Lord for anything more? Uh, because he's limitless? Because <laughs> according to my Bible in Ephesians 3, it says that I'm being filled with all the fullness of God. And I'm pretty sure that I can't contain that and haven't reached maximum capacity yet I mean that's just me but and then the other side is I feel like sometimes people feel like they're disqualified either to get it for themselves and most of the time if people are in that place where they feel disqualified to receive from the Lord how could I possibly help somebody else get their breakthrough how could I possibly see somebody else encounter the Lord? If I'm defeated or if I'm disqualified, I'm just broken and I'm, I'm waiting to be fixed. How could I be good to anybody else? I'm going to tell you a little story. I, I talked about the one aspiration that I had. I don't often share this publicly, but um, I grew up doing martial arts. My dad had a school we were doing Taekwondo, and somehow I got it in my head I wanted to go to the Olympics. I was pursuing that dream. I was competing at a pretty high level on a regular basis, and I had the unique privilege of my dad and I both were competing together. Not against each other, <laughs> but at the same time. He was also a competitor, and we coached each other. So he was my coach and I was his coach. And I remember, you know, making several runs at the national championship and that's kind of like the, the threshold to really break in. If you can win there, you, you, you win a spot, you know, into the national team and that really opens the door, but you had to win there. And I was having a lot of success at different levels, but it's like, could never quite break through right there. And so one year, I was like, this is it. This is do or die for me. This is my last year. If I make it, great, I'll continue. If not, I'm done. I don't even have time to tell you guys about all the hours of preparation, all the hard work, sweat, literally blood and tears that went into it. But it was a lot. My dad knows. He was training me. He was right there with me, running stadium stairs, doing all this stuff. I would train for hours every day in the, in the school, teaching classes, doing all this stuff, go home and run at night. I'd be up in the morning. We'd go to the stadium and run. Anyways, we get there. We go to the national championships. My very first match, I lose. I get robbed. <laughs> Um, but here's the thing. I literally had to 
bow to my opponent, bow to the referees. I walked out of that stadium, went into a, a back hallway and bawled my eyes out. My dream just died. My promise is gone. What I thought was my inheritance, my calling, my destiny, my purpose was gone. But guess what? My dad hadn't competed yet. I had to go back in, compose myself, and coach my dad. Guess what? He won the national championship. It's because he has such a great coach, of course. <laughs> no, but what would have happened if in my defeat, in my discouragement, in the loss of my promise, my dream, my inheritance, whatever you want to call it, I had not been able to show up for my dad. That could have possibly been two lost dreams. But in my brokenness, in my defeat, in my humility, in my pain, in all of those things, and not because I was like a great man of character and yeah, I'm not, this isn't all that, but this is just to show as an example that maybe you don't feel like you've already arrived. Maybe you don't feel like you've already attained your inheritance. Maybe you haven't, you know, gotten your, your plot on the east side of the Jordan already. Maybe you just went big and got shut down. Maybe you just saw your dream crushed. Maybe you're in a hard place. But that doesn't mean that you can't help your brother or sister go win theirs. Your sword still works. It may have seemed better days, but when you surrender it to the Lord and his purposes, it works just fine. And you know what? I don't understand how all this works, but sometimes our swords actually work better for other people. It's an interesting thing how the Lord has designed the body. Sometimes our swords are better at winning battles for other people than they are for ourselves. I believe we need to be able to fight on our own behalf. We need to learn how to stand in faith, all of these things. But the Lord has made us interdependent. We're not meant to do it on our own. We need each other. Ah, oh, Jesus. I got four minutes. So much, so much. Okay. I want to get practical for us in our house. There's so many ways to participate when we come together corporately. 
So many ways. In a very practical way, did you guys know that just to operate the ministries that are taking place during a service, and I'm not talking about the worship team or the preaching or core team, you know, doing announcements and all that stuff, but the prayer ministry team, the prophetic art team, pre-service revival, the intercessors, pastoral care team, worship, uh, no, sorry, I said we're not doing worship community, sound even though they're part of the worship community, but this running sound and all of that is about 30 people. For the serving teams to volunteer and make everything else happen, it's about 64 people, almost 70 people. The parking teams and greeters, the ushers, the safety team, the connect coaches, the video team, the computer graphics, the kids ministry, the IT team, the service team, the testimony team, the bookstore, the photography, and the coffee shop. Takes about almost 100 people to put a service on. I think there's plenty of space to get involved. None of us has an excuse to be a spectator. Now that's just talking about those things, but what about when we're in here corporately together? I want to hit something in my last two and a half minutes. This is not a pep rally. It really is not. I talk to people, and I know so many people have been burned by church, and they've been manipulated, and they've been wounded, and they've been manipulated by unhealthy leaders in the past, and all of that stuff. And I, I, my heart breaks for that. But I hear people, it's like, I, if one more pastor gets up and tells me to do this or do that, or when the worship leader tells me to raise my hands or to sing out or, or to say amen... It is not manipulation. It is not hype. It's not because we need to be reaffirmed by the people sitting out here. It's because we are jealous of what is available for us corporately to come into agreement in unison. And we believe that if we come together and we let our voices be heard, that it actually has the power to physically shake this place. Look, when Joaquin's up here and he's preaching, he says, okay, I'll try this side. <laughs> Eddie, how many of you? Okay, three of you. Impressions are done. That's it. <laughs> it's not because they need to be affirmed. It's because they're trying to engage. Because they're jealous of what's available for us corporately. 50 seconds. I might be a little bit over here. This is biblical. Psalms 18, if you look at this, the Davidic worship, the way this was, was written and the way it's uh, meant to be done, this happens to be the same scripture in 2 Chronicles 5 when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. They were actually singing this song. But it goes, you know, um, there's a declaration made, like he is good, and then it's a corporate response. It's actually the congregation. It's the people responding, saying, his mercy endures forever. So when in, in, in 2 Chronicles 5, when the glory of the Lord filled the temple, it would have been the people, it would have been somebody, the worship leader saying, he is good. 
And everybody in unison, the singers and the trumpeters knew it was their duty to make their voices heard, would respond, his mercy endures forever. In power, in faith, in purpose, in understanding, and in unity. The disciples in Acts 2 and Acts 4, they knew there was purpose, there was intentionality. When they were praying for boldness, guys, it wasn't, you know, one person on a microphone. They didn't have to hype the crowd. There was no, I don't read in the Bible and everybody said. Amen was just there. It was automatic. It was preloaded. The people understood this in that culture in that day and that time. Amen is an ancient word you see in Hebrew, in Greek, and in Arabic. Common English translations of it would basically be, verily, truly, let it be so. I'm a minute over, I'm sorry. And I'll only take about 30 more. No, just kidding, just kidding. Don't worry, you'll make it to the Super Bowl. If you need to get your kids, you can do that. We are created in the image of the creator, yes? Do we all agree on that? How did he create? Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. He spoke and things were created. So if we're created in his image and we believe that when we come together corporately, if we're in unison that power can be released, let's stop being silent. Let's stop letting the enemy silence us and rob us from the power that's available. I'm not trying to have an ultra-charismatic or Pentecostal service. I'm trying to see the power of the kingdom of heaven release in our midst. I want to see Austin shaken. I want to see this nation and this generation shaken and find purpose. I want to see the kingdom of heaven invade this place. And I believe it doesn't happen from good preaching. It doesn't happen from having nice worship. It doesn't happen from having a group of people up here. It happens when we come together in unison. An agreement. And it's not about our personal expression or comfort. It's about agreement. It's about truth. So when somebody's preaching, somebody's speaking, somebody's sharing a testimony, and you hear truth in there, I want to encourage you, respond. Verbally respond. Say amen. Say come on. Say yes. Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter because I believe you are created in the image of the creator. And when you open your mouth and align yourself in agreement with truth, it's actually a legal binding action. That's what agreement is. So you are actually saying, I'm adding my faith my power to yours. And the more we do that corporately, I believe the more we will see released. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying this because I want exciting, you know, energetic services and trying to get you all hyped. I want to see power released. 
I just heard a testimony of a woman who had her own battle with cancer. Brought a friend who's struggling with cancer to service to get prayer. She had, she had pain in her body, and they prayed for her, and all the pain left her body. She had a tumor in her breast. She could feel it was hard to the touch, and when they were praying for her, it went squishy. Hear me. It wasn't the person who was already healed that brought her. It was the person who's still fighting. Can I get the worship team to come up? Why didn't everybody stand up? Now, let me tell you, we don't have to wait till next weekend to practice this. The word says where two or more gather. Amen? You can get with some other believers anytime and press into the Lord and pray and ask him to come. Amen? We're getting there. We're getting there. Can we get the prayer team to come up? I want to encourage you today that if you have anything that you're believing for, any breakthrough that you're waiting to receive, that if you need to see healing in your body, breakthrough in your finances, if you need to see breakthrough in mental health, emotions, and family restoration, whatever it is, it's a, you know, the list can go on and on. If you need to see breakthrough or victory, come up here so that these guys can agree with you. You can come up now. It's okay. You don't have to wait. Okay. Before you guys start praying, hold on down here. Before you start praying. Okay. Some of you guys just aren't going to come up because I know there's more. If you need to see breakthrough in your life for anything, raise your hand. Oh, wow, look at all those people. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Because I believe my Bible. And there's a story in the Bible of God sending his people to march around a walled city, a little place called Jericho. And he commanded them to go seven days. You know the story. And on the seventh day, for the priest to blow the trumpet and for the people to raise a what? to raise a shout and it said that together when they raised their voice in a shout with the trumpets are you noticing a pattern same as in second chronicles right that the walls of the city fell flat and the people went in and possessed the city so what i want us to do right now is again if you're waiting for some type of breakthrough raise your hand my hand is up. This isn't just an example. And on the count of three, in faith, in unison, in agreement, I want us to raise a shout 
over every one of these areas and believe the Lord for breakthrough. Can we do that, guys? You're not inspiring a whole lot of confidence right now. Can we do that? Are you, are you really with me? Okay, okay. I will do it on my own. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't on my own. So on the count of three, we're going to lift up a shout, believing to see walls come down and break through release. Amen? Okay, on the count of three. Ready? One, two. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.